Thank you, Arvel and Anne, for inviting us to help uh, uh, draw alongside you and minister. And thank you very much to Nick, if, if it was uh, his choosing of the songs. They're beautiful, absolutely lovely. And uh, welcome all the church. I'm very aware, too aware, that flesh and blood won't reveal the words that are spoken in ministry in the word. So we have the Holy Spirit. And I pray this morning that he breakens, breaks open the manner of his word because we cannot live by, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen. I'm going to take my, my first reading from Mark chapter 10, 46 to 52. Mark chapter 10, 46 to 52. It's the story of the blind Bartimaeus. And I'm going to read through those verses first. And then they came to Jericho, and as he went up out of Jericho with his disciples, this is Jesus, and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He, being Jesus, is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni that I might receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. And when I read this again, there were two points that leapt out on me. Is that Jesus is walking with his disciples out of Jericho and blind Bartimaeus calls out, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David, Ben David, Ben David. He's calling out and he's calling out, making such a racket that some people try to shut him up. And Jesus turns to him and he makes this astonishing statement. This man, he is blind. He has no skill set in order to provide for his livelihood, so he has to resort to begging. And to get anywhere, he has to be led. And Jesus asks this amazing question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? Sometimes in our Christian walk, we can take things for granted. And it's a profound question in its obviousness, church, is what do you want Jesus to do? What is our desire? I remember that uh, song by Keith Green where he sings out, Bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, is all I ever hear. No one aches, no one cries, no one ever sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for our needs. But we just lay back and pretend the job's done. Sorry about that. So Jesus stood still and commanded Bartimaeus to be called. Now, in my 
fleshly logic, I would have said, well, surely Jesus, walking with this entourage of gatherers around him, just stopped and said, hmm, there's a blind man. I'll go down, kneel in the dust, and minister him. But Jesus stands still, and he asks Bartimaeus, what do you want? And I believe that Jesus is asking certainly me, what do I want? Where is my desire? Is, is Jesus in the kingdom a supernatural supermarket? Or what is my real desire? I want to read a couple of verses to you, which you might read over and think nothing of them, but things stand out in them. This is one, the first one is from Mark 6, 48. Then Jesus saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And about their fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Again, this is Mark 6, 48. Now, look, listen to the statement. He came walking on the sea and would have passed them by. But when they saw him, thinking it was a ghost, they cried out. As if to pass them by. Sometimes he wants us to catch his attention. Sometimes he wants us to call out. Sometimes he wants us to cry out. Here's a second one, John 1.36. Now, in my uh, King James, it doesn't quite read the same. So I've gone to Weiss's Greek expanded version. On the next day, John the Baptist was standing and of his disciples too. And having turned his eyes upon Jesus, while he was walking about, John says, look, the Lamb of God. Now, when I look at it in the Greek text, I find it quite interesting that Jesus was walking about. He doesn't mention what he was doing. He wasn't baptizing. He hadn't laid hands on anybody as yet, but he was walking about. But John says, look, the Lamb of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was... The son of God, I had three and a half years to deliver the word of life. I would have walked into the crowd, said, hear ye, hear ye. Listen to me. I'm the son of God. Here I am. But I believe yet again, like Jesus standing still, like Jesus walking as if to pass them by. He wants us to call out. He wants us perhaps to cry out. Now, may, let me make a quantum leap forward to Revelation verse 3.20. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The context of Revelation 3.2 is, of course, the Laodicean church. For I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold, because you are lukewarm. And God help us, and that's my prayer, God help us if we do find that Jesus is just passing by and we don't cry out. I had a friend in one of our worship bands many years ago, um, very nice guy, and we were having a conversation along these lines, and he said to me, you know, God is sovereign, 
and if he wants me to have something, he'll get it to me. And I met him many years later, and he'd completely left the way and backslidden. The Lord is asking something of us, and sometimes it, it can be quite stressful when we pray and we say, God never listens to me. I never seem to speak to God. Well, we have to ask for his understanding on how to call out for him. Notice, and it says there, if anyone hears my voice, you wonder, well, 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 well how, how, how do I hear his voice? Well, last week, Oliver was speaking, praise God. And the Lord was speaking. The week before that, Anne was speaking, and the Lord was speaking. He is speaking. But it says, and opens the door. There's something required on our part. Here's a bit of a revelation, which I found out some years ago. Do you know the kingdom of God is God's kingdom? Let me talk about um, tithes, offering, fellowship, speaking in tongues, pray, worship, all that dynamic. All of it is God's. And sometimes in our flesh, we try to make the kingdom. If our hearts do wander, if they do cold, go cold, let us ask God to ignite them again, to bring them back to that place, to find our voice, because Jesus might be walking past and he might be standing. He knows our hearts. He knows all things. But perhaps we don't know our hearts. We don't know all things. And where we are right now, we can cry out to him. We can implore him. We can say, Lord, move upon me again. Touch my heart. Touch my soul. Ignite my heart to fear your name. Hallelujah. He stands at the door of the knock. Now, the second point that I'd like, that was my first point, okay? <laughs> I've got one eye on the clock, Arvel, don't worry. <laughs> So we have this poor Bartimaeus, okay, that Jesus calls out to Ben David, Ben David, calling out son of David, son of David. Point one, Jesus is standing. But here comes the second point. He says, son of David, son of David. Now, it's important to understand Hebrew uh, concepts. The word Ben, son, can be understood in three ways in Hebrew. One, a direct biological son or daughter of a father. Two, a descendant within that same family tree, a great-great-grandfather, a distant cousin, that sort of thing, brother, sister. The third one is you can be a son or daughter of someone who exhibits the attributes or characteristics of a person, but not related. My mother was Scottish. And her hero, her Scottish hero, is Robert the Bruce. Oh, hi. And she would be humorously say, you are a son of Robert the Bruce to me. Of course, I'm not. But she thought I was. <laughs> Some sort of Scottish hero. I don't know. But it's in the same vein. Three different types of son. You could, now, Hebrew understanding as well is you could be one or two or all three. Now, here... This blind man, Bartimaeus, is sitting beside the road. Who is that? 
it's the Messiah. And he calls out this ancestral string of history back to David. And I ask myself, why didn't he cry out, my Savior, my Lord, my healer? But he cried out, son of David, son of David, have mercy, have mercy. If you want to leave one finger in um, Mark 10, can you turn with me to 2 Samuel? I'm not going to read all of it. 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. A little bit of a background to this. Last year we had the um, uh, uh, Republicans voted out of office and replaced by the Democrats. And indeed, uh, in our own country, we have the Labour Party replacing the Conservative Party, the Conservative Party replacing the Labour Party, and so on. So what happens is a whole bunch of people are voted out and they have to find new jobs and uh, a new bunch of people are put in, and that's about the end of it. However, in these days, things were very, very different. I, I'm doing a study at the moment on the um, Chronicles um, and uh, the Book of Kings, and when a king would assume the throne, Make no mistake, he would hunt down his old enemies. And if he found them, he would either kill them or send them into exile again and again. So it was quite a fearful thing to know that you're, 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 there was a new king in power. So I'm going to read here from 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness? for Jonathan's sake. So remember, if you want to cast your mind back, we had King Saul, the first of the kingly era. Saul had a son, Jonathan. And Jonathan had a son called Mephibosheth. And if we leap over to, sorry, I've lost my place there. If we leap over to 2 Samuel 4.4, 4, just a few pages before that, now, Jonathan and Saul went out to battle. This is um, 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. And both Saul and his son Jonathan are slain. Now, it says that Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. So his name is Mephibosheth. Now David ascends the throne and he said, going back to chapter 9, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Because he loved Jonathan like a brother. And as soon as the nursemaid heard this news, because she knew that um, Saul had hated David, she ran away with this poor child who was five years old. So this young boy gets called into the presence of the king. And we'll go to skip to verse six. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated him. And then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and your sheep, 
eat of the bread of my table continuously. Do you remember the prodigal son? The prodigal son, when he comes to his senses, eventually says, gosh, I was in much better shape than I was with my father. I'm going to return to my father and be a servant. But his father welcomes him as a son. And in this same verse, David, who shows mercy to Mephibosheth, welcomes him at his son to dine always in Jerusalem. I'd just like to skip then to a verse which really left me sort of a emotionally um, uh, uh, moved to verse 13 of chapter 9. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. And a fascinating statement. We know that Bosheth means a shameful thing. I'm going to read a few um, passages here of, of random verses. Second Samuel, David refers that he's going to show kindness to Jonathan for your father's sake. In 1 John 2.12, John says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake, for Jesus. So 1 Timothy 1.16, however, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And that is the pattern. David, son of David, referring to Jesus, have mercy on me. And in this situation, David extends his household, you must read the whole chapter, extends his household to treat him as his own son. And that, that little statement, and he was lame in both his feet. I, I, I'm going to read something else here that uh, poor old um, Mephibosheth settled in an area called Lodibar, which means no pasture. And 1 Peter 2, 6, 2.6 says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. John 10.9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And we thank the Lord for all that he has done, that he has shown, the King of Kings has shown He's standing there. He's even gone so far as to knock at the door to prepare a table for us. Revelations 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Sometimes he stands a little bit away to entice us, I believe, to engage with our desire. What do you want? What do you want? Bartimaeus. I find this quite an interesting verse right at the end there. Then Jesus said to Bartimaeus, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight 
and follow Jesus on the road. I'm reminded of the Leonard Cohen song, which goes, it's a little, little bit of a poem, um, you go your way and I will go yours. Instead of saying, I'm going to go my way. And it says there, Jesus says to him, he's healed now, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And immediately Bartimaeus says he receives his sight and follows Jesus. Because the way of Jesus had become his way. The desire of Jesus had become his desire to be healed, to be restored. Some of us grow weary. Some of us have been lame in our lives. Some of us come into life lame. Some of us have lameness thrust upon us. And we must believe that he is standing and waiting for us with arms outstretched, with arms outstretched. The king is always there. 